Thanks for listening today to In 16 Years. I'm Amy, and this is a podcast where I talk about what I've learned in 16 years of living with endo, severe IBS, fibromyalgia, and interstitial cystitis. My name is Brittany, and I live with celiac disease, anxiety, and my own hormonal fun. We hope this show will inspire you, empower you, and help you feel supported on your own health journey. Brittany and I are not doctors, dietitians, mental health professionals, experts on endometriosis, or any kind of qualified medical professional. So that means that none of the information we share on this podcast is medical or mental health advice. If you get inspired by something we say, always consult your qualified medical professional first before making any changes. Hi, everyone. Today, we are so happy to welcome Soha Wahab to the podcast today. Saha is a Lebanese medical student at the American University of Beirut, and she's the founder of Endo in Arabic, which is an initiative that aims to provide accurate information about endometriosis in both English and Arabic, and shed light on patient struggles and the factors hindering access to proper care. In this episode, Soha brings forth her perspectives of being both a patient and a healthcare professional to talk about the difficulties of accessing expert care, such as how loosely the term endometriosis specialist is used, and the lack of set criteria and unwillingness among the general medical community to distinguish true optimal care from suboptimal care. And we also had a very thought-provoking discussion about how the medical community worldwide needs to take initiative and responsibility in improving endometriosis care. So this episode is really a part of a short series that we are doing on endometriosis care and experiences globally. You know, the problems with care, with misinformation, with lack of access to excision. These are problems that the endometriosis community faces worldwide. These are global problems. And we want to highlight the voices of a few advocates worldwide who are doing great work and who can speak on obstacles to care that they've come across and also report on obstacles to care that members of their respective regional support groups have experienced. Please keep in mind, however, that while our guests share their experiences and opinions, they don't speak for or represent all of the people in their country or region. Just like when I speak about the care I've experienced in the United States, I'm not speaking for every person's experience in the United States either. Many of our experiences are similar, but they're also each unique and individual to all of us, and they vary widely. All of the opinions expressed by the interviewees on this podcast are their own. Hi, Soha. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. We are so happy to have you here. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy that we get to do this interview and talk more about endometriosis care in different parts of the world, not just in a specific country. So it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. Well, I'm so happy to have you here on this show because, you know, we've actually worked together a couple of times with some translation and some posts. So if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience, um, I'll introduce myself first. My name is Amy and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm the co-host of this podcast, and I'm based in the United States. So my name is uh, Saha Wahab. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a medical student in Lebanon, and I'm also the founder of Endo in Arabic. We are currently on a break 
but the aim of the page is mainly to raise awareness about endometriosis, especially accurate awareness, and highlight the issues that patients, especially in Lebanon and also in the region, face in terms of care. So before we started recording, we actually were speaking for about half an hour about some different issues and topics that we're going to speak about today for care in Lebanon and the region. But before we jump into that, we had talked about how small your country is. So I just wanted to highlight that I Googled that Lebanon is about one third the size of Belgium or one third the size of Maryland here in the United States. And then as of 2019, there was about a population of 6 million people, but that includes 1.5 million refugees from Syria and Palestine. So about four and a half million Lebanese people in your country. So indeed it is quite a small country. And I wanted to bring that up because I know you're going to talk about how Lebanon being a small country influences care. So I wanted to give people a little bit of a comparison basis for what you meant by small country. Yes, of course. It's a very small country. It's one of the smallest countries in the world. And even though like there are only like about 4 million to 5 million Lebanese that are based on Lebanon, the population, the expats are much more. There are around, I think, 20 million in different countries. I know. Yeah. But uh, definitely because we are very, a very small country, the number of, of specialists that we have is very small. And I want to emphasize here that whenever I use the word specialist, because this is really important to me, whenever I use the word specialist, I'm meaning specialist between quotations. So anyone who advertises or promotes himself or herself as a specialist, either through social media or through the medical system or medical field. So uh, yeah, because we are a very small country, not many specialists are present, but despite that, the healthcare system in general provides for different diseases, a very decent and in many different fields, high quality care for different diseases. So I don't consider that being a small country is a hindrance for the ability to provide better endometriosis care in, in terms of financial resources or in terms of equipments or, you know, but because we are a very small country, I think there are limitations in terms of what options patients have access to. And especially with the economic crisis that started in 2019, it made things much worse and it uh, limited the choices of patients even more. Why don't we start by you talking a little bit about general endometriosis care in Lebanon? So just to start with, I feel that a lot of the problems that patients face in different countries, endometriosis patients, are very similar. And I was just uh, telling you that uh, sometimes like, I feel like patients from different countries can describe very accurately what would happen with me or with any other patient, even more accurately than my own sister, because it's really the same story being repeated over and over and over again, because the issue is mainly present in the system itself and in the guidelines and in the inability of the healthcare system to actually realize that this disease actually requires a better, more specialized care to be provided to patients to be able to give them better outcomes. So the general issue is that any patient that would face in any country is also present here, such as 
misinformation among not just the general doctors, but also among ob There are so many doctors that still tell patients, well, when you get pregnant, after you get pregnant, the issue will be solved. There are many doctors who tell patients who are in their 20s to wait until their menopausal to actually get relief. Uh, many doctors, actually, most doctors still have the wrong definition. They always explain uh, endometriosis as a terrain menstruation. There are also like a lot of lack of improvement in knowledge. So I think a lot of patients are now aware of that is that, for example, fibrosis is an uh, inherent uh, characteristic in uh, endometriosis, especially that is an inflammatory disease. But so many doctors, they don't realize that whatever fibrosis they might find in a surgery, for example, is also represents also endometriosis. And they don't take this information as how it would help them to actually be able to provide better surgeries. On the other hand, what they do is that they remove what they can, they do what they can and done, like surgery is done. So same for delayed diagnosis, for inappropriate treatment. Unfortunately, like I know patients that, I know one patient who was put on GnRH antagonist. Uh, we don't have Lupron, but we have GnRH antagonist who was put on GnRH antagonist for three years by a specialist, you know? And I would expect like a better care to be provided by a specialist. It's, it's a lot of problems that are similar to other countries, but also there is a problem that is also among like the population as a whole, and that is the relationship between patients and doctors. There's a lot of halo okay, around doctors that a lot of, a lot of patients like think of doctors as gods, as people who know everything, who can provide anything, who, who should be experts at everything. They don't realize that their relationship, or they just have like a lot of, oh, it's, it's not just respect, it's looking at doctors as divine. They have to also acknowledge that this relationship is very much simpler than that. It's basically a patient asking for a service and the doctor can either provide it or not. It's really that simple. But unfortunately, many doctors, they resort to psychosomatic excuses when they see that they are unable to help the patient. There is this also this problem among doctors not being able to be comfortable saying that I don't know or I cannot provide anything more within my, what, I, what I can provide. Or maybe you should see someone else, or maybe they don't have to say like you have to go abroad or see someone else, but they can at least just tell the patient that this surgery may not be the best surgery that you can get. This is what I can provide. These are the risks that are going to be present if, let's say, I do this surgery. And so far, this is what's available here. And it's for the patient to decide what is best for them. And this really needs to change because we really need more specialized care in the different fields, not just in endometriosis. And with specialization, you can only with specialization, you can provide better outcomes. So it's important that specialists who promote themselves also as specialists to recognize that what they are providing is actually specialist care. What I mean by that is that a specialist cannot be providing the same level of care as someone who is a general, let's say, ob uh, or even a general mix, let's say, and call themselves specialists in endometriosis when they are providing the same level of care. That is also a problem because specialists doesn't only mean high volume patients. It also 
refers to what you are doing to these patients. What is it that you are providing more to patients to actually call yourself specialist? And that is a huge problem. It's important to define what makes a specialist. So if we are talking about endometriosis, for me, at least, I see so far with the current uh, treatments that are available, because in terms of medical treatment, we cannot do much other than manage the symptoms, which patients can choose to, to have, of course, if this is what they want, but they should also acknowledge and know the uh, consequences of uh, what could happen in the future, the need for, for follow-up, not have unrealistic expectations from these medical treatments. So because these medical treatments are still rudimentary so far, what makes a specialist in endometriosis is someone who can provide higher quality excision surgery that is complete where everything is actually excised with a team of other surgeons who all also work together to actually provide this high quality surgery. And this level of care does not exist in Lebanon so far. It, there are no endometriosis centers. But it's important that we set clear criteria to what actually defines a true specialist in endometriosis to be able to use this word, not loosely, but because anyone can call themselves specialists. They can do a minimally invasive gynecological surgery and call themselves specialists. For me, this is the most important point in raising awareness because we can raise awareness to give accurate information about the disease, to debunk myths, to uh, diagnose early, diagnose properly. You can do all of this effort. But if you don't have clear criteria that recognize true specialists in endometriosis, all of this effort will go in vain because even in the ideal system where doctors refer to specialists, who are these specialists exactly? So anyone so far can call themselves specialists. And if you look at the healthcare system from afar, you would think and maybe there are specialists in endometriosis, but then you look at what they do and you see the number uh, of surgeries they do, what the care they provide to patients, like you don't see high quality specialist care being provided. So it's not about prescribing medications and OCPs and uh, contraceptives and progestins, because this is something that even family medicine doctor can do. And I'm not belittling their work. I'm just saying that it doesn't even require a gynecological specialty to be able to do, to give these treatments uh, to patients. Also, a very important point is that because excision and ablation are not always distinguished in the medical field and in guidelines. A huge problem that exists is that many specialists say that they provide excision, but in reality, when you have a discussion with them, you see that this title or this description is not very accurate to what they actually do during surgery. So for example, like one of the specialists local specialist in Lebanon, I had a conversation with her where she was, she admitted that excision is superior to ablation and that she uses excision. But then when I had a deeper conversation with her talking about the details of the surgery, she stated that she knows what to remove and what to keep based on her expertise. She prefers to burn powder legions on the bowels. There's a lot of contradictory statements. You feel like there is a lot of, uh, they are at loss. They say something, but they do something else. When they try to discuss concepts related to endometriosis with the research, with them, always the argument of expertise pops up. But then when you try to like follow like a logical discussion with evidence, the practice doesn't follow logic. A lot of specialists who don't know what they are doing, 
and they are maybe trying to provide the best care that they can provide, but they have to actually be able to also acknowledge that what they are providing is not the best because I've never heard a specialist say that to me. They always think that what they provide is the best. They are the specialists. They know better. And uh, they need to know where to put the limit and tell the patient that now this is everything that I can provide. I cannot provide anything more. This is the risks for the surgery. Instead of blaming the patient for the symptoms and blaming the emotion and mental health and whatever, labeling them with whatever mental disorders, when at the end of the day, it's all related to endometriosis. So if endometriosis was dealt with properly, all of these symptoms and all of the effects of endometriosis would be managed properly. So that is lacking among specialists, at least in Lebanon. And very unfortunate thing is that the title of excision is used for these surgery. And that is what really annoys me the most is that if you use excision and use ablation in the same surgery, why do you say that it is excision? Why don't you say it's ablation? For example, this is one problem that I have with the surgery that I did previously. And it was with a very renowned specialist. Again, specialist, I use between quotation marks. And I requested very specifically for excision to be done. And I only learned six months later that complete excision was not done, first of all. Second of all, ablation was used. And I didn't know where ablation was used. I didn't know where excision was used. Simply because uh, nothing guarantees your right at having pictures from surgeries, nor any video, uh, nor a detailed report. The report is not from what the reports that I, uh, I see from private hospitals. The reports are not detailed. And whatever nodules or lesions are excised during their surgeries, they don't have to send everything to pathology. They can just throw it away. The patients always rely on the verbal communication with the surgeon. And that's not enough. Patients deserve to at least have objective findings from their surgery just for their own reference in the future. It's not just about the care that is provided. It's also this level of care is hindering the ability of the patient to have continuing care for the future, for themselves to be actually able to continue either seek another specialist, seek care from abroad, whatever they want to do. They don't even have the means to do that because even though they underwent a surgery, they have nothing from the surgery except for whatever their surgeon told them. And I don't think it's only a problem in Lebanon. I think it's also present elsewhere, but it's definitely a problem here. And because there is no requirement for multidisciplinary management and to provide high quality Care, uh, care surgery, a lot of specialists resort to medical treatment that's supposed to be just given for a specific period of time to be able to manage the symptoms. The specialists, they, they use these medical treatments as an alternative for the surgery, and that is a huge problem. So a lot of specialists are within their comfort zone, and it should really be changed to be able to actually provide better care to the patient. Thank you so much for outlining such a detailed explanation of problems that you see with endometriosis care in your country. And so many of the things that you said highlight so many of the problems that we have worldwide. Things that you said about, for example, self-proclaimed specialists and not having the title of specialist mean anything. So anyone can just call themselves a specialist. So it's like, but what does specialist mean? Then you get in the appointment, you start asking specialists, quote unquote, specialist questions. Oh, they said they do excision. You Then you start asking them questions and maybe they don't even do excision or they do a combination of excision and ablation. And it's just, 
it's so frustrating. It's so disheartening as the patient, because you think you're getting a level of care. And then later to find out that, you know, either find out after the fact or find out perhaps, you know, when you're interviewing with the surgeon that you're not getting the level of care that you anticipated, but there you are in the appointment and you could have moved mountains to get to that appointment, the cost, you know, rearranging your schedule, the transport to get there. I mean, going to doctor's appointments to these specialist appointments, and especially you can be filled with hope about trying to get the care that you desperately need and deserve. And I think, I think what you said about getting back your post-op report or having the surgery and after the fact learning that it was not only excision that was done, it was excision and ablation and not knowing where did they excise, where did they ablate. I think that is a problem among some quote unquote specialists worldwide. I mean, I don't know how many, but I've definitely heard of many other people saying, I thought that I went to an excision surgeon, but it turns out they only excised my endometrioma and they ablated the rest you know, but the surgeon advertised themselves as an excision surgeon. And it's a big problem too, I think, with the documentation that we receive, or, you know, in this case, people may not be even receiving post-op documentation, but even I know with my own, like they did give me pictures, they did give me the pathology report, they did give me the post-op report, but it was so vague. It was just basically like, Amy had endometriosis. It was very bulky. There was a lot of it. We removed it. It was hard to remove. It was a lot of effort on the surgeon's part. She had a peritoneal pocket. We got it. It was very short and it just didn't tell me anything. I was like, so did I have superficial in it? Do I have dye? Where was my endometriosis? And I only got to ask those questions in the post-op appointment, um, which was two weeks later. So luckily it was very fresh in my surgeon's mind. And he explained to me, you had endometriosis here and here and here. Your bowel is fused here, blah, blah, blah. But it like, was it in the report? And there are people who Either there's some people who never get to see their surgeon post-op or they see the surgeon months later. And it's like, well, if that's not written down, how is the surgeon going to remember? You know, you're like, Hey, I was there on a Tuesday at 9am. You cut me open. Do you remember what was inside of me? And it's like, "Mm, not really, you know? So for me, transparency is so important. And I think as patients, that's what we want. We want to know what was in our body. What did you do to our body? we want answers and it should be these conversations that we're having with the doctor. But unfortunately, so many of these conversations are very top down. It can be really hard to have a conversation with the doctor if we don't have knowledge about endometriosis. And why would we, why, why would we at first have knowledge about our disease later? We're learning about our disease and that puts a huge burden on us to learn about our disease and through social media, through the internet, we, through all that misinformation, and then ask the doctor the right questions. And I mean, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be like that. You know, we should be able to go and get the service where this specialist, a true specialist, specialist, meaning expert in the disease is able to give us correct information and the care that we need. That just, I don't understand why that's so hard, but the whole system is just totally, totally screwed up. I wanted to ask you in Lebanon, are there any kind of endometriosis guidelines that doctors follow? Because I know here in the United States, we have like the ACOG guidelines in the European Union, they have the ASHER or the European guidelines in Australia, they have the Australian guidelines. So there there are different guidelines in different countries. I know Germany has its own guidelines, Canada. Um, Of course, not all countries have guidelines. And of course, not all the guidelines are great and guidelines can be very contradictory, but I'm just curious 
are there any kind of guidelines that these specialists are referring to or where do they learn how to be a specialist generally, of course, because it could be all different. Basically in Lebanon, mainly the different medical students and uh, non-residents, they usually do further training abroad. So they either go to Europe, especially mainly France, a lot, also Germany, or they go to the US mainly. Uh, they can also go to Australia, but these are the two, like US and Europe are the two main areas where doctors go to uh, do further training. And that's, that's in general. And that's where the specialists that we have the further training. So because of that, the guidelines that they follow are either ACOG guidelines or ASHRAE guidelines. So it's based on their training that they, that they receive. And what she said is so important in terms of like the conversation with these specialists, because these specialists are not always receptive to actually get constructive criticism from patients in terms of their knowledge. Something that triggers me is when we compare endometriosis to another chronic disease, such as diabetes. I really don't like this comparison. I don't feel like there's any room for similarity here because patients with diabetes in general, they have like a basic level of trust with their provider. They don't go to a provider and say, well, maybe (laughs) this provider doesn't know in this disease, maybe why I'm not uh, getting any benefit from the treatment. They don't question the skills of their provider. They usually trust their provider. They should put an effort to be contributors in the plan of care that is put in place because they should know about how to manage their symptoms, how to manage their disease. But we don't ask them to go question what their provider knows. And it's a lot of burden that is put on endometriosis patients because unfortunately, there are no uh, regulations that are in place that protect endometriosis patients' rights at having the best quality care that they can have. So patients have to do this part. So they don't just have to know more about their disease in terms of medical knowledge. They have to do their doctor's job to actually be able to decide, well, maybe this is uh, the good doctor for me. Maybe this is not the good doctor for me. But there, there is no one for comparison with other diseases such as diabetes because there is a level of trust between patients who have diabetes and their providers. So it's a lot of burden that's put on the patients who are already not in a state to actually be able, and many times they are not in a state to be able to do all of this effort. Also, one thing is that because there is lack of regulations, that's why there is this variety in surgery. There's no like standardization, nor for surgery, nor even for medical treatment, which is very often used out of label. Like for example, let's say GRH antagonist, they don't recommend using it more than 12 months with analog therapy, but you, can, you see it used for two years, three years even, and it's not acceptable. And one thing also for surgery, also I don't really see that endometriosis surgery is either excision or ablation. I see that excision is one end of the spectrum where doctors excite everything, they map everything, they find all the lesions. And there's the other end of the spectrum, and that is ablation. And these are doctors who ablate everything, even ablate deep disease. I don't know how they do it, but they do it somehow. And it's the worst kind. And then you have, between these two, there are 50 shades of endometriosis surgeries. It's not in the excision. It's not uh, ablation. Like I even used to think like it's three types. It's excision, ablation, and then a surgery where there's excision and ablation. I discovered there are 50 shades. There are doctors who 
ablate superficial and excise deep. There are doctors who ablate everything. There are doctors who don't do MRI and just do the surgery blindly. Uh, even when deep disease is present, there are doctors who maybe do, they do MRI, but they don't have radiologists who actually know how to read the MRI to be able to know the locations of all the lesions. And they don't themselves know how to do, how to read the MRI. So it's literally useless. You know, it's just like, you know, you have endometriosis, you have, you know, you have deep endometriosis and that's, that's what you can get from these MRIs. So it's a lot of variation within the surgery. And on top of that, you don't, as a patient, you don't have anything that protects your right at having documentation from the surgery that has that much variability among surgeons. So no two surgeons are going to do the surgery the same, even excision surgeons. It's, it's very complicated. It depends on who you are working to with as well, like who are the colorectal surgeon, who is the radiologist, who are you working with to actually be able to provide the surgery. And all of these elements lead to this variability in, in the surgery that is provided. And all of these surgeries are done by so-called specialists. So it's very confusing to patients. It's very, it may even be deceiving to patients. And we can't expect that patients are the one who are going to drive this change when the system is made to make them stuck with a bad quality of life and with symptoms that barely allow them to continue doing day-to-day -day activities. I don't like how endometriosis is compared to diabetes. In diabetes, there are guidelines that are we protect the rights of the patients, you know, that they are part of the plan of care. And in terms, it's a chaos. It's literally a chaos and nothing protects patients in general, you know. So if we now talk like in terms of Lebanon, what is the main hurdle? Why there isn't top quality care surgery that's provided by the specialists who are currently in the country? First of all, we should acknowledge that there is a problem, that the endometriosis care that's provided to the patients is not the best care that can be provided, and it should be improved. And uh, as long as we don't acknowledge this problem, we're never going to solve it. And that is a problem that, that we see in the healthcare field in general, is that many doctors are not very comfortable saying that they don't know or they don't have the skills to do the surgery, especially when they have established somewhat a reputation for themselves as endometriosis specialists. And we should know that education doesn't end with medical school. We should know that education continues throughout the career. And even now, excision specialists continue to improve their skills, continue to learn more, continue to give better care to their patients, and cannot be done by just saying that, yeah, I'm a specialist, I provide this, I provide that. They should put active effort into acquiring this knowledge and the skills, and it should start somewhere. I don't see that drive in any specialist to actually start the specialized care and devote the effort and the time to actually be able to reach this level and also have a team of other specialists because it's essential to actually have a team of other specialists to actually provide the surgery. I'm always like emphasizing on the surgery because what is lacking is the surgery. It's not, and medical treatment is not lacking. Maybe the misuse of the medical treatment, it's, it's a problem, definitely. But it's, it's not what's lacking in the endometriosis care. And that's why I'm emphasizing a lot on the surgery in terms of care that should be provided in Lebanon. And I feel like worldwide in different countries as well. So I mentioned this already in an episode that I did with Kate Boyce from Endo Girls blog. We were talking about the guidelines. And we were talking about how the idea of these guidelines, like with ACOG guidelines in the United States, the share European guidelines in Europe, that these guidelines come out and, you know, the guidelines are made for the clinicians. The guidelines are a tool that supposedly is empowering 
these gynecologists to be able to treat endometriosis care. So a big problem is that these doctors don't know how to treat endometriosis care. I mean, we know that's the, that's why we're here. That's why we're all here advocating and talking about that is because we're not getting the care that we need. As you said, there's a lack of surgery. I mean, surgery is just one option that's available to the patients, but that's the option that is the most inaccessible, unavailable option. Cause like you said, I mean, hormones are everywhere and hormones are like a non-specialist care. So in order to get true expert care, we need to throw surgery into the mix, excision surgery. A huge problem is that gynecologists worldwide, they think that they know how to treat endometriosis because they have these guidelines that tell them, quote unquote, how to treat endometriosis. But for example, the ACOG guidelines don't even mention excision surgery. They don't even mention excision surgery in the guidelines, except when in reference to removing the endometrioma should be excision over ablation. And that's it. So excision, it's like, if you have guidelines that are governing the, I don't know how many thousands of gynecologists in the United States. And, and then you have surgeons who are coming from other countries to get trading with different gynecologists in the United States. It's like, if you have guidelines that don't even mention excision, then (laughs) like what the heck is going on? You know, and even with the European guidelines of 2022, I mean, they just came out that excision had a weak recommendation, um, which I guess is better than nothing, but it's like still come on. So it's just really frustrating that there are so many doctors who think that they're doing a good job treating endometriosis because they're following their guidelines. If the guidelines don't talk about excision, then why on the earth would they learn excision? Why on the earth would they offer the patient excision? If the guidelines, which is like what they follow, don't mention it. And I also mentioned this in the episode with Kate, but the ex executive vice president and CEO of ACOG, which was Dr. Hal Lawrence, the third, he was responding to the petition that was brought forth to ACOG in 2018 to try to change the guidelines he said that he could say that endometriosis is a condition that all the residents are trained in and about. So they know how they know the symptoms, they know how to diagnose it and they know how to treat it. You know, so you have the executive leaders of these huge governing bodies who also believe that their gynecologists that they train know how to treat endometriosis. And yet on the ground as the patient, we know that that's not true. And I think that's just a massive problem that you're pointing out is that the majority of quote unquote specialists don't have the knowledge. And a lot of times they don't even know that they have the knowledge. And when the patient points out, Hey, I don't think you have the knowledge or you're not giving what I consider expert care. Then the patient can be called combative. The patient can be called argumentative. The patient might even be kicked out of the care and say, Oh, well then get a different doctor. And that's really hard on the patient because we're exhausted. We may not have access to different care. We may not be able to find another doctor and we're just stuck with the care that we have. And we're just stuck between a rock and a hard place. But the thing is like, you know, the the contradiction here is that, you know, that these leaders and that actually make these guidelines, they say that, okay, well, general OB-GYNs, they are trained to actually provide the treatment for uh, endometriosis patients, then why do we have specialists? And this is a question for the specialists. If you say as a specialist, I'm following the guidelines, and those who make the guidelines say that endometriosis can be treated by general or kind, it doesn't require the specializations, then why are you a specialist? But what makes you a specialist if this is your excuse for following the guidelines? So I understand how someone who is not very well versed to what the issues that are 
currently in place in terms of endometriosis care, how they may be, may be thinking that they are providing good care for their patients, but they are not. But I don't find this as an appropriate excuse for someone who calls himself or herself a specialist. They should provide better. Like, I understand for a general doctor, okay, but for someone who they call themselves as specialists, and that's how they promote themselves. What is your excuse for not being able to provide the only thing that you can provide more than a general doctor? Like, what is your excuse? If you don't have an excuse and you just can't provide it, then simply just don't call yourself a specialist. That's the only request that I have. Just don't call yourself a specialist. And that's fine. Then you can put yourself in the same category as everyone else, the general doctors. I think there is a lot of specialists who actually don't provide this high quality care to patients are now at a loss because maybe they learned something in their training that was not optimal, let's say ablation, based on where, where they did their training. And now with time and more and more, they are seeing that what they learned is, is not the best. And and But at the same time, they don't have the skills to actually provide this. But being in this uncomfortable position doesn't give these specialists the right to actually dismiss patients' symptoms and put them on treatments, medical treatments that should not be an alternative for surgery, but they use them as an alternative for surgery. And at the same time, call themselves specialists. You know, it doesn't really make sense to me. A huge problem in the medical field as a whole, is the lack of perception of the effect of endometriosis on the life of the patients. So they see a patient, she can walk, she can talk. And then this patient says, this disease is affecting my life tremendously. It's causing this and this and that. Now, the, some doctors just, they hear it very often. And it's as if they don't believe the patient because what they are seeing doesn't fit what they are hearing, maybe, or they hear it very often. but. For many doctors, it's easier to actually dismiss the symptoms than, than say that I don't have the skills to do anything more or all I can offer is symptomatic treatment. That is the huge problem. I feel like I, we are always coming to the same point is that every specialist and doctor should be comfortable talking and clearly stating to the patient what they can and can't provide because this is literally the deal breaker for many patients. Patients, their job is not to actually go investigate what this doctor does and how many operations they do and what they do in the operations. Actually, many times, patients don't have access to this information. A specialist can tell a patient, yeah, of course, I do 28 surgeries every month for endometriosis. And I see uh, this case and that case. Okay, what, what's your proof, you know, for that? What is your proof? A doctor can lie and can say that. And this is how patients can be deceived. The problem is that there is something that can be offered that is better for the patients. And it's important that the specialists, especially who cannot provide this, tell the patients and be clear about the fact that they don't have the skills to actually provide it and guide the patient to tell them, even if they don't have access to this, like maybe if I knew about like the level of care that is present now and which I am aware of because of my work, I can be aware of, of the level of care that's provided. Maybe if I knew about this a few years ago, maybe my situation would have been totally different. But I was, I was led to believe that specialists in here and the specialists that I went to provided something, which turned out it's not true.
And I unfortunately trust the statements of the specialist. And I didn't have the means to actually be able to know and to be able to investigate whether the statements that I was told were accurate or not. And that is important for patients to actually know, like if you live in a country where there's no documentation for what surgeries the doctors do, what type of surgeries, what do they do in these surgeries, the patients may be easily deceived by reputation of skills that doesn't exist. And it's not the fault of the patient, by the way. It's Again, it's not the job of the patient to do these investigations in the first place. And many times the patients don't have the means to do them. So unfortunately, if specialists were able to actually be upfront about what skills they can provide, maybe it would have spared a lot of patients so much suffering that that could have been avoided. There are many people that say, well, maybe cancer and other diseases, they affect life more tremendously. And I'm not belittling what other diseases can do. What I'm saying is that in endometriosis, there is an alternative for the patient that can spare them the suffering, but it's not being offered. And it's not just that it's not being offered. Patients are not put in the loop that it's not offered. They don't know. It's, it's a very messy situation to be in. And everyone wants to do the surgery. Like even in Lebanon, infertility specialists do the surgery. You know, we don't have to be like even a minimally invasive surgeon. And unfortunately, the surgery is only offered in specific situations such as infertility mainly, and maybe like sexual uh, like problems such as like pain during intercourse, they would offer it. But if you have a disease that actually affects your day-to-day life and prevents you from doing day-to-day activities, you are just offered medical treatment for symptomatic uh, relief. And you- the surgery is not discussed in the first place. And even if the surgery is discussed, Doctors, specialists, I mean specialists, they don't, they are not upfront with the patient in terms of what can be offered in this, in terms of this surgery and what they can offer. Like, unfortunately, like, I will just give you an example. Like the surgeon who did my surgery. After six months, it was like a back and forth conversation just for me to actually like just have like a basic, just understanding for what happened. And I still don't have any proof for what happened. But at least I got a better idea of what happened. And at the end, like, there is endometriosis that was not removed. But at first, he told me that he removed everything. And at the end, I knew that not all endometriosis was removed. But this surgeon didn't tell me that exactly what this surgeon told me is. He told me this endometriosis cannot be removed. And I have a problem with this statement. Because when you tell the patient that this endometriosis cannot be removed, you are just removing any hope for this patient to actually even go ask for another opinion to maybe some other excision specialist can provide better care. But you choose to use these statements and not say, I cannot remove these lesions. And, it, and this differentiation is very important. And I'm, I'm always talking about specialists. Like, I don't want to even talk about doctors in general, like, because I even know, like, if we delay the, delay the diagnosis, it's useless as long as we don't know who are the true specialists are. And as long as specialists are not honest about what they are doing in their surgeries, they are not providing objective proofs for patients to actually to use in the future for themselves to actually get the care that they deserve in the future. That is the biggest, biggest problem in terms of specialist care and guidelines are no excuse for them. You know, with everything that you're just talking about a couple of things came to mind for me. 
First, I think one of the big things that comes to mind for me with endometriosis care is broken trust, broken trust in the medical system, broken trust in our doctors. And it's not about anyone specifically. So we're not talking, you know, we're not singling anyone out. We, you and I have both had bad experiences with specialists and doctors, and I'm sure every single person listening to this podcast has as well. We're talking about the overall general medical system and just this broken trust. I think that there is because we go to the doctors, you know, we get misdiagnosed. We get told it's all in our heads that we're dramatic. We have a low pain threshold. You know, our symptoms are blamed on psychosomatic causes. So it's already, we go and there's that gaslighting dismissal. Then we have the doctors prescribing options, you know, for example, giving us hormones. A lot of doctors are not telling patients of the side effects of the hormones. The patient is not fully informed of what they're taking, of how long, as you said, um, something like Lupron is only approved by the FDA for one year. And yet doctors are keeping their patients on it for much, much, much longer because that's the only option that doctor is able to provide. But the doctor is not keeping the patient in the loop about you know, how long the drug has been approved for potential side effects. And also, as you said, those, it's very damaging the words that come out of the doctor's mouth. And I think the doctors just don't, many doctors don't realize the power that their words have, because for many people, their words are considered this medical authority. And many times as patients, we are very sick. We're overwhelmed. We have been beaten down by the system. Dismissal and gaslighting can have real psychological repercussions in our, in our self-trust, our ability to trust ourselves, trust our body, trust our gut, trust what we're feeling. And the doctors say things like your endo can't be removed, or they love to say things like, this is your only option. When we know that this is not your only option, as you said, this is the only option that they can offer. Maybe this doctor, the only thing they can offer is for example, or Lissa, or Lupron, or the Marina IUD, but it's not the only option available. And then what that does is, is that drastically negatively affects the patient because I remember being told either you continue taking hormones or you learn to live with it. I was 21 years old. I was very young. We didn't even know what I had. Like we still had no name for this, for all of the mess of symptoms that I was experiencing. And it was either suck it up and live with it or continue taking hormones. And I had taken like six different types of hormones. And I was like, no, I I can't take hormones anymore. It drastically affected my mental health and made me very depressed, anxious, paranoid, et cetera. And I was like, no, then I will learn to live with it. And then I didn't seek care anymore because I really thought those were my only options, hormones, which I didn't want to do or learn to live with it. And then when you say you don't want to do them, the doctor can, not all doctors, but some doctors do this like blaming on you It's like, oh, you should have more of an open mind or, oh, well, if you don't want to take hormones, then don't come back and see me and they cut your care. And so it's, we are again in this rock and hard place where it's just, we're not getting the care that we need. We don't, we may not even know that we're not getting the care that we need. I had no clue that I was getting poor care when I was getting that care from that doctor. Like I thought I was getting care, you know, and I just thought I was the complicated case and that I, my case was just impossible. It was one of the severe cases. And So it's like, then I had all these stories about myself and my endometriosis, but in reality, what I had was a misinformed doctor who was not giving me good care. And I had plenty of options and I didn't have some impossible case of endometriosis. And indeed like 10 years after that happened, no, 12 years, 12 years after that happened, 
I was able to get expert care and I was able to see very clearly I did have more options. My case was not so impossible. It couldn't be treated. It's just that that doctor could not treat my case. You can hear when you speak how impassioned you are about endometriosis care because it's extraordinarily frustrating. And I know, especially when you're, when you're at the head of a large page with a large following, you hear a lot of stories from patients, you know, patients come to you looking for advice, looking for education. And you hear a lot of people's stories, very heartbreaking stories of what they've suffered at the hands of this broken medical system that we're in. And it's heartbreaking. And it feels like, what can we do? You know, and I think we are doing, we are doing our advocacy and we are, we're doing what we can, but as you said, the the burden should not be on us and change needs to come from the top down as well. It's not just about educating the patients if we are educating the patients, but as you said earlier, okay, we're patients. Now we know excision exists, but if we can never get it, if excision is not even offered in our country, true excision, complete true excision is not offered in our country and we can't leave the country. And then what it's like dangling this carrot in our faces, like, oh, you know, care exists, but you're never going to be able to get it. And like the psychological damage that can do is harsh. You know, this is the dilemma. And when you actually raise awareness about endometriosis, because you know, for so many patients who live in specific areas in this world, they have limited resources and they don't have much of an option. So you wonder like, like maybe it's better if for now, at least they don't know about this because many of these patients will end up having a suboptimal surgery and many of these patients will end up on suboptimal medical treatments. And it is very damaging to actually be knowing what should happen, not being able to actually uh, initiate any change because at the end of the day, you are just a patient. You are someone who is bound to a certain level of care. Not everyone has the financial resources to actually choose to where they go and choose a surgeon that they want. So for these patients, which may make up a huge portion of endometriosis patients, it's very damaging when and and that's the dilemma that's where the dilemma comes like okay they know but now what what can i do for them i can't do anything i can't do anything for myself in the first place so what am i going to do for these patients and how is a system that is already built to actually provide this level of care and many factors endorse this system in the country i cannot as a patient be able to change it it cannot come from the patients. It should come from the medical system from within. And that's what annoys me the most in raising awareness. And that is, I know awareness is very important, but I feel like we just emphasize a lot on its importance that we forget what is really important in terms of endometriosis care for patients. Like for example, for my surgery, I knew that excision should be done and not ablation. And for some reason, I don't know why. Before going, uh, doing the surgery, I already read the CEC website. I don't know how I was able to actually find it, but this website was like my reference. It was like my, my holy book. I was like reading through the references and I was going through that information. And that's what I based my decision on, that I want an excision surgery and I need a specialist to do the surgery. And I knew like a lot of the information that I already know now. But the level of care that I got was the same. And that is so important to acknowledge that even if you raise awareness, 
about endometriosis, there is a proportion of patients who can afford to go to these specialists. And that's why there's always like a leap of faith that the, the patient should, should take with whoever surgeon they go to. Because you can never really, as you said, like there is this broken trust. So you're always going to think, what if? What if, you know, they didn't do that? They did that, you know, at least for me, that always crosses my mind. And what you said is so important that the change should come from top down. It's not from the patients. So excision specialists who are on social media, they play a very big, huge role in this. Even if they can't do anything about the guidelines, they can still make an impact within the healthcare system. The importance and the huge impact that excision specialists who chose to be on social media and who choose to do interviews about endometriosis that they have on the level of care that is provided to other patients who don't necessarily like go to them as patients. So we know that there are many endometriosis specialists who do complete excision surgery, but don't have a social media, and this doesn't make them any less skillful. However, for specialists that choose to raise awareness through social media, with social media comes a responsibility. And this responsibility is not just related to sharing accurate information, but it's also related to what recommendations these doctors give and is related to their interactions with other accounts and to what they say during interviews. We all know that not all endometriosis specialists are true specialists. And when, when I say true specialists, I mean those who actually do complete excision surgery. And some of these doctors are on social media. And I think it gives the wrong impression when an excision specialist interacts with their posts, even if some of these posts are somewhat decent. And I'm not talking about the doctors that you cannot really tell their approach during surgery. I'm talking about doctors who are really known not to do complete excision. When an excision specialist is, for example, interviewed, and let's say is not comfortable answering a specific question because they don't want to risk, let's say, social connections or whatever. And let's say they were asked if there are excision specialists in a country that can do this type of surgery, then it's important that they avoid answering this question if they are not comfortable saying the truth or answer it indirectly by stating, for example, the requirements needed to do the surgery in the most optimal way, for example. This is so important because it can be deceiving for patients who are not aware of the chaos that's already in place in endometriosis care. And it also shows that what patients related to endometriosis are saying may be exaggerated, hysterical, or maybe wrong. This may not be detrimental when we are talking about a large country where maybe true specialists do in fact exist. But when the country is so small with less than five claims endometriosis specialists, these are the statements that unfortunately hinder any kind of progress to be done locally. And the element of power on social media is not the patients. It's specialists, endometriosis centers, healthcare professionals in the medical field that have the greater impact on the healthcare professionals, especially those who always claim to be specialists. So for example, you can be a medical student and know all the evidence-based information and know how to tell uh, what is evidence-based and what is not, and still the argument of expertise will pop up in consultations with claim specialists, especially when no one from the healthcare field is saying anything publicly, and those who are supposed to be providing state-of-the-art endometriosis care to their patients are endorsing in one way or another whatever suboptimal treatment that's provided by these claim specialists. At least in the region so far, no one is comfortable speaking the truth, not about the care delivered in general by general doctors, but that is delivered by whoever calls himself or herself a specialist. 
as long as specialists who consider themselves that they are providing optimal endometriosis care use the title of specialist loosely, nothing will change even if a system is established where patients are referred to specialists as the outcome will always be the same even if this optimal system is, is established. It's not enough to defend the use of a certain equipment and medical devices during surgery, especially that excision has been done for decades now. Using or defending the use of medical devices is not the deal breaker for the patients. Maybe it is for the surgeons, but not for the patients. The deal breaker is specialists who either choose to be enablers to whatever suboptimal care is provided by other claims specialists or choose to set the basics of clear boundaries that distinguish optimal from suboptimal care and act on it on social media and interviews. And at the end of the day, because I, as a patient, am not in the position of power, and because the argument of expertise and having a medical degree and being peers with specialists abroad who provide the same level of care according to these claims specialists, this doctor can simply shift the conversation towards finding a mental factor or mental disorder as the cause of the symptoms, despite the presence of imaging that shows endometriosis, because they simply can. Doctors can very much do what they want in a very unregulated profession, especially when patients are bound to the care that they provide. So the least I would expect is for true specialists not to endorse that through statements and interviews and on social media. The problem of lack of clear boundaries set to define what is optimal and suboptimal by specialists themselves is present worldwide on social media. And we've seen this highlighted by several accounts such as Endogirl's blog by Kate, but since Lebanon is a very small country and there are less than five pain specialists, such statements can have tremendous repercussions on the patients that are living in this country and contribute in one way or another to the suboptimal level of care. I think there's a real power dynamic between the patient and the doctor, and we're not at the advantage. And we have seen that this is a problem worldwide. I mean, we see this among organizations like to not name any organizations, but to say that there are national endo organizations that are not always giving correct information. For example, there are organizations that even when people are giving correct information, then there is name calling insults. Oh, these people aren't giving the correct information or, oh, all these people with endo are just hysterical, quote unquote, or crazy, quote unquote, or, you know, if you follow certain pages that talk about excision, they'll say that some doctors say like, oh, that's a cult. Don't believe in retrograde menstruation as the cause of endometriosis or out of date with science. Like I have witnessed all kinds of public name calling towards advocates and patients from supposedly respectable organizations, doctors themselves. It is a great responsibility to be on social media and to have a public face of endometriosis because, first of all, people are looking towards you as a national organization, as a governing body, as a specialist. People are looking towards you for information. People trust and believe in you. And then it can put like, okay, so it's my, for example, when big organizations talk about endometriosis, the cause is saying the cause is retrograde menstruation. And then like, for example, here's a bunch of, you know, small time advocates like myself, like me and you being like, no, it's not retrograde menstruation. And it's like, well, who, who's the public going to believe like someone with a small following on Instagram, some patient or like some national organization or some specialist doctor who 
supposedly knows what the heck they're talking about and has all this medical training and is the quote unquote expert. So it like pits people against each other. And then that can cause patients to lose credibility with their family, with their friends, with their coworkers, because here we are as patients, we're saying one thing. And then the national orgs, specialist doctors, et cetera, are saying this whole other thing. And it's like people who aren't delved deep in the endo world and who don't know about this broken trust and all the misinformation. Like if I go to my, I don't know, my boss and I'm like, Hey, I have endo and I need X, Y, Z accommodation. And they're like, Oh, well, I saw on this, from this doctor that people with endo don't have X, like you're saying they have Y and it's like, but that's not true. Well, who, who are they going to believe? And so I think this is, this it is an enormous responsibility to be in the light and to be giving the information. And when we see this kind of gaslighting or name calling, or I also see on social media, I know of surgeons who they're not very good excision surgeons, but they are on social media talking about excision. Some of their posts are extremely questionable. Of course, there are some really great excision surgeons on social media as well. So it's not like every single surgeon. It's just a couple that I know of that I'm like, ooh, that's very questionable what they're saying or what they're pushing. But there are a lot of people who just, who don't know that. Even I didn't know that at the beginning until I learned more and went really deep into my advocacy work. So it's very frustrating and it just feels like a constant battle <laughs> with endometriosis, just just a constant battle to try to get correct information out there. But then if these organizations, specialists, et cetera, if they're not open to having some humility, if they're not open to being curious, if they're not open to saying, maybe I don't know everything there is to know about endometriosis. Maybe I don't know everything there is to know about the cause. Maybe there are multiple causes. Maybe I'm not giving top level care or like, how could I improve my care? If there's no openness and curiosity, then how can we have change? You know, when people are very dead set in their ways and in their beliefs, I mean, then you're dealing with a whole ideology and it's extremely difficult to change an ideology because beliefs run deep. Like as human beings, like we die for our beliefs, you know, I'm not saying anyone's going to die for their belief that retrograde menstruation, but as, as human beings, like ideas are very important to us and they're very strong within us. And it can be very hard to learn that you're not correct when, you know, you've been giving care all this time, for example, and your care affects people's lives. And then to suddenly know that you've based your life, your career, you've been treating patients and perhaps to learn that you're not giving optimal care. I mean, that's gotta be heart-wrenching and that's, that's gotta be really difficult to, to take in that perhaps your care was hurting people when you thought it was helping people. And so there's all these really, it's like so many convoluted layers of why care is subpar, but why we're like just continually stuck with subpar care. Exactly. Like I always tell people like with endometriosis, the more that you learn, the more layers of the problem that you unfold. Like there is always more problems. There are always more factors that you see that are hindering the care uh, care provided to more people but it's important to also emphasize that if a specialist clearly sees that whatever care that they are providing is suboptimal and let's say the patients that are coming to the specialist don't really have another option it's important for the specialist to be clear about this and second of all 
if they continue to provide the same level of care, it's not going to be just five years of suboptimal care. It's going to be 10 years. Why not stop now, acquire more knowledge, try to set up a center that actually provides this level of care to the patients and go on from there. You know, you should, ha- you should start somewhere. There are always ways to actually improve whatever care there is. Like, for example, I tell you for my surgery, if this surgeon was clear from the beginning and told me, well, we didn't remove everything. I use this and this and that. I wasn't expecting to see what I saw, for example. I wouldn't have been angry at all. I would actually have trusted this provider to actually get another consultation from him because I would trust this provider that this provider has my best interest in mind. And because of the, this provider was honest with me that I can trust whatever recommendations they may be giving me. Yes, it is hard. It is, but we should start somewhere. Specialists should start somewhere. And just delaying this initiation of change is only going to make things worse. So we can't just like always blame the patient for whatever standards of care are available and they should ask for better care. There is a lot of work to be done from the part of specials. Like one thing that I recently read, like it was about uh, how to deal with gaslighting. Like if you were gaslit by a specialist, a doctor, a provider, and what, what you should do. All of this article was focusing on the patient, like why, what the patient was doing wrong. Did this patient not write the symptoms on the paper? Did this patient just brain freeze? They couldn't uh, continue like uh, with the interview. Did they, this patient uh, come alone without someone to accompany them? What about the doctor who gaslit the patient? Did you see what they did wrong as well? Or is it always just from the part of the patient? Because recently I was in a consultation where I stated all the evidence-based information. I had all the information that is written down. I was never asked about them. In fact, I clearly stated what medical information was inaccurate. But on the other hand, this doctor dismissed everything because they think they are specialists. They think they, are, they know what care they should provide. And because they are not receptive for any constructive criticism. So in this case, it's not the patient who had a brain freeze, it's the doctor. So why don't we focus on the problem that is actually in place? And that is not the patient. It's how the healthcare system is dealing with the patient. There is a problem that doctors always feel like they should know everything. If, if patients saw that they don't know or, you know, this, this problem that they should always show that they, are, they know, this has negative repercussions on the patients. And there is a fine line between showing confidence to the patient, which is essential to actually establish this trust. We are taught that we should show confidence to the patient because we cannot be like Googling symptoms and diseases and telling the patient that I think you have this and not that. You know, you should show confidence in your information. But there is a difference. There is a fine line between showing a confidence and faking it. So you fake a confidence when you actually don't have any idea what the hell is wrong with this patient. You cannot provide anything to this patient, but instead you choose to dismiss the patient, to gaslight the patient, to tell them to reduce anxiety, stress, whatever, when they actually have physiological symptoms and a physiological disease that can be managed by a true specialist. These are problems not with the patients. These are problems within the healthcare system. So if we're not gonna talk about these problems, 
How the hell are we going to improve? And most importantly is that when the healthcare system is that messed up in terms of providing adequate care for patients with endometriosis, the two specialists who provide complete excision surgery and who choose to raise awareness about endometriosis are the ones with the greatest impact on these specialists and on the healthcare system. It's not the patient. I'm always going to repeat it, especially in situations where patients don't have a choice. And it's very often that patients don't have a choice. When I talk about endometriosis care provided to patients, I'm not talking about the patients who are able to actually get this surgery, which is the thing that is lacking in endometriosis care from specialists and can afford it. Or those patients who are fortunate enough to be able to somewhat, somehow uh, pay for the surgery. I am talking about the majority of endometriosis patients because when I talk about endometriosis care, I'm not talking just about minority. I'm talking about the whole patient. So if the aim is just to, let's say, promote the services that are provided by excision specialists on social media, then we are doing okay so far. But if the aim is actually to make the surgery more accessible to the patients, to endometriosis patients, not just to a small category or portion of these patients, then excision specialists who choose to be on social media and those who are in power centers, even in the organizations whatsoever, but I'm talking about like endometriosis specialists in particular because I feel like this would have the greatest impact in here. They have a responsibility and they should not be endorsing suboptimal care because they would be contributing to the suboptimal care even if the care that they are providing to their patients is top-notch care, top-notch endometriosis surgery. So, so far in Lebanon, it's like patients are trapped in one healthcare system that is closed, that is so very small, and it doesn't provide the adequate care for them because of all of these factors that are in place and that endorse the system to be actually put in place. But then you have specialists telling patients, well, you should ask for better care. We cannot just accept this narrative because it's not logical. It's very theoretical and it's very, it's not practical at all. In fact, we may be harming these patients who only have access to these specialists and maybe they would not even get the care anymore, the suboptimal care that they would be able to get from these specialists because they, because they can choose just not to provide it to them. And they would be bound to whatever reality their disease would impose on them. So. What I'm trying to say is encouraging patients is very important, but you can't just use this narrative everywhere without seeing in what context you are using it. And words really have a great impact when they are said publicly, because like even in, in private consultations with these specialists, these specialists, when they are endorsed in one way or another, be it social media, be it interviews, be it whatever, maybe unintentionally, it doesn't have to be intentional care that they are providing is endorsed by others who actually are known to provide optimal complete excision surgery, then these claims specialists can use this as an argument for the, with the patients. And the patient is the one who is, who is in the weak position in this loop. And you know, it's, it's like stuck. There's literally nothing that you can do, but unfortunately there is something that can be done. But in this situation, the patient cannot do anything, you know? When you were speaking, I was just thinking about all the barriers and biases and obstacles to care that there can be for the patient. We talk a lot about empowering ourselves as patients, which, you know, is exhausting, is <laughs> totally exhausting. 
and should not be as necessary as it is. And like you said, it places this unnecessary burden, this pressure on the patient, but it's not the patient. It is the medical system that is failing us. It is doctors who are working within these medical systems, who their inadequate training, the biases that they hold, even their personalities themselves. I think about patients who, I mean, there's so much research out there about gaslighting among doctors' biases. I think about even, for example, endometriosis patients, patients who have been historically marginalized, patients who are Black or Indigenous or from another historically marginalized background, patients who are trans, who are non-binary, who are LGBTQIA+, and even for many of us who identify as women, there are studies about, I mean, there are many, many studies and throughout history that we can't be trusted, that what we say about ourselves and about our bodies can't be, can't be trusted. We can't dare be trusted. And then throw in the mix an additional identity that a person may hold, throw into the mix a doctor who is racist or homophobic or doesn't understand what non-binary means. And you just have these recipes for horrible, horrible experiences at the doctor's office. And what I want to say is that we could be the perfect patient, you know, quote unquote, the perfect model patient. And we could bring with us another person, preferably a white cis male. We could bring with us another person to the doctor's office and we could have the most perfect presentation of our symptoms and we could have medical background training. And we could say, you know, oh, I have dyspareunia and dyskesia and and dysmenorrhea. And, you know, we could use fancy medical lingo and we could be super concise and we could look sick, but not too sick, but then not, not sick enough, you know, and then we'll look professional, but not too professional. And we'll dress the part. And like, we could do all these things that is advised to like gain better care. And we could still get the crappiest care in the world. I love how you continue to hone in on the idea that it's not us as the patient. You know, we should be able to go to the doctor and get a service from a knowledgeable doctor, from a knowledgeable human being, but that's just not happening. And in there, we have just, there's so much bias and discrimination and racism and other systemic cultural, social issues. And I'm not just saying, I'm not saying in Lebanon, I'm saying like worldwide, like I'm just talking about like big picture worldwide. It's hard to be a patient. It is hard to be a patient and it is hard to be an endometriosis patient when you throw all those other layers on the mix. And like you said, the more, the more I feel like the more I advocate, the more layers I uncover of why care is just so, so, so screwed up. I feel like it's like a mix of factors that it's like the perfect mix to make sure that inadequate care is not accessible to the greatest number of patients. It's like so many factors in the greatest mix to make this happen. Like in general, I feel like how I think about the problem is if you're going to change a system or you're going to try to solve a problem or address a problem, especially like in the healthcare system, you can't just like rely on the conscience of the surgeon and you cannot rely on a patient requesting X, Y, and Z from a, from a surgeon who is not forced to actually provide a certain service to this, uh, this patient. I feel like 
a system can only change in one of two cases. There is either the doctors or the healthcare field, if we're talking about the healthcare system, so doctors in the healthcare field would be financially affected, or uh, there should be legal liability. So in terms of legal liability, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon because doctors can provide excision, ablation, it's all the same. It's even the same CPT code, at least in Lebanon, like the CPT code in one major hospital, it literally says excision or ablation by any other method. This is the CPT code. So CPT code is the code that is assigned to a surgery. And based on this code, whoever worked on this surgery gets paid a specific amount of money. So for that endometriosis surgery, this is the CPT code. So it doesn't even distinguish ablation and excision. So I don't think any kind of legal liability is going to happen anytime soon, especially with guidelines that are not distinguishing the difference between excision and ablation and doctors being able to use tools where they don't have to necessarily distinguish between the two, even if they verbally communicate to the patient that they provide, let's say, excision or complete excision. So legal liability, I don't feel it's going to happen anytime soon anywhere in general. And for doctors being affected financially, this should have, like, you should have a mass number of patients who are well aware of the care that is provided to them, what care can be provided, and they have the means to actually access this care from better uh, skilled uh, surgeons, okay? And this is how the doctors in a specific area, let's say, would be financially affected because these patients are, this mass number of patients is choosing to get care somewhere else because they see that the care that is provided to them is not optimal. But so far, if we are talking, in general, I don't feel, it depends on the country, actually. It depends on the financial situation of the patients in a country. It really depends how much resources the patients have. But if we are talking about Lebanon, this also won't happen because the majority of patients are patients with the economic crisis, are patients who cannot afford to get care elsewhere. What they can afford is what is provided in this country and they have to manage with it. So we cannot have doctors who are legally liable for choosing one method over another or for providing a suboptimal surgery. And we cannot have doctors being financially affected due to the current situation, even if we made all patients in this country well aware of the symptoms. And, you know, it's only the minority, the very, very, very minority of patients who will be able to access the surgery. And it wouldn't be like beneficial on the large scale of patients in this country. It's very unfortunate that these two factors are not available in Lebanon. So the only thing that we can rely on is for people from the medical field to actually speak up and say, the truth about what level of care is provided by specialists in the region. And like, this is the best hope that you can have because as a patient, you cannot really do much with these circumstances. So how you have given such a comprehensive overview of the endometriosis standard of care that many patients experience, that you've experienced yourself. And I would love to ask you as a final question, What's your vision for endometriosis treatment? What would you like to see change or what would you like to see be like the ideal path for treatment or standard of care? I feel like we all, like at least you and me, like we share a lot of uh, common ground in this regard. 
because first of all, you have to start with a sound understanding of endometriosis because this really affects the treatment that the patients are receiving. So you cannot really be a defender of uh, retrograde menstruation and define a disease using this theory and then expect that treatment will be somewhat optimal. You know, there's always this, this argument that you cannot uh, really dismiss retrograde menstruation as we still don't know what is the cause of endometriosis. But I don't want to even get into this argument. What I am emphasizing is the importance of not using a theory, a theory as a basis of treatment. That's all. That's literally all that we are requesting as, a, as patients. You want to think otherwise, I don't know, like you have your own theories, you have I don't care, to be honest. What I care about is what you apply in your practice. And if you are another defender thinking the cause of endometriosis is retrograde menstruation, I know already what the type of treatment you are going to be providing. So a sound understanding of endometriosis is definitely very, very essential to not take theories as facts. That is very important. Second of all is patients should be treated by taking their considerations into account, not the doctor's considerations. If the patient wants X, it means this is what they want. It doesn't matter if the doctor wants X or Y. If the patient wants, let's say, has adenomyosis, okay, and it's very severe, and let's say doesn't have, uh, maybe it can be somewhat managed via a surgery, but it, the surgery requires a higher set of skills, and this patient cannot access the surgery, and this patient doesn't want to deal with the symptoms in the near future, if this patient wants to have a hysterectomy, it's her right. But this patient has to be aware of the consequences of, of this decision, what can be provided to her in general, what she has access to or maybe doesn't have access to and make a decision based on this. But unfortunately, in many countries, doctors don't even like ask patients for their wishes, don't ask patients for their needs. They just take from you information and they stereotype you into a specific category. And based on this, they decide on the management, they take their decisions and you're just stuck with it. You are not even asked if you're okay with that. You are not being part of the plan. And it's not okay to deny a patient like a specific procedure when you are a doctor who should be providing this procedure just because you don't want to provide, just because it's not convenient for you, just because it's against your values. And at the end of the day, this may be the procedure, that, the best kind of procedure that this patient has access to at least, and maybe would need. It's also very important, and I, I know I said it, and I feel like maybe I'm repeating myself, but it's very important for doctors to admit when they can't offer more, when they actually cannot. And don't blame the patients for that. Just, it's important that we reach a point where doctors, especially specialists, they are clear in terms of what they can provide. Because we all know when you are more aware of endometriosis care and what happens, we all know that even specialists, excision specialists, don't have the same skills. There are some who are more skilled in a specific area. There are, you know, they don't all deal with the same level of complexity of cases. So even excision specialists don't deal with all the levels of complexity of cases. So let alone claim specialists and doctors. So it's important just like reach a point where you just tell the patient the truth as it is. Don't create more problems for the patients just because 
unfortunately, in medical school, we are taught to always show confidence to the, to the patient, but we are not taught what to do when we actually don't know. It's very important to actually emphasize this point. And when this actually happens, it's important that doctors and specialists don't choose medical alternatives that should not be an alternative for a surgery just because they cannot provide it unless the patient doesn't have any other choice and the patient is very aware of that. And, you know, there's a full understanding from the patient in terms of what these medical treatments can do eventually and not have unrealistic expectations from them. Of course, like the optimal, optimal wish is to have a center where they actually provide optimal excision surgery. And that is like the best kind of care that can be provided to a patient, especially with patients that have advanced disease and their cases are complex, but that is a long road, at least here, you know. Thank you so much for our interview today. Thank you for sharing about your experience about what you've been learning through your advocacy, work, being in contact with other patients, helping other patients through your page. Thank you for sharing your vision for endometriosis care. And I hope that we get there. And I don't know when we're going to get there. I don't know, if maybe decades from now, I don't know, but hopefully little changes will continue to add up to bring big change. But of course, that doesn't help all of us who are living in this situation now. So I think we'll just sit for a minute and acknowledge all of the people worldwide who are not getting the care that they deserve and how devastating that is and how difficult and heartbreaking it is to be living with this illness, to be gaslit and dismissed, going to doctors that misdiagnose you dismiss your symptoms, outright lie to you. We can acknowledge, I think, the broken trust, the obstacles to care, the financial burden that it carries, the emotional burden as well. So thank you for bringing up all of these really, really important points that is the reality for so many of us and points that are really important to keep in mind with advocacy. We are advocating for better care to make excision more accessible for the patients to have options and be offered the options for doctors to have conversations with their patients instead of just orders and directives and five minutes of, okay, this is what you need to do by without any conversation at all, without taking the patient's wants and needs and wishes into consideration. And it's just, it's all very heavy and it's very hard. Thank you for spending this time with us today and talking about these very, very important points. So I just really want to thank you. And I want to thank you for your passion. We can see how driven you are and how determined and how committed you are to the endometriosis community. I know that you have worked so hard along with a fellow team of people on your page and Joan Arabic. So I definitely will put that in the show notes today. And I hope that people can follow that. You have a lot of great information in English and in Arabic. Just thank you for all of your advocacy work because it is, it's so draining. It's draining to be a patient, to have endometriosis. It's draining to advocate 
it's draining to be helping others, hearing their stories. And I can imagine there's a additional layer of drain and frustration because you are a medical student. So you're seeing like two different sides, both sides. You're experiencing the suboptimal standard of care, but then you're also like seeing how, you know, you're being trained and seeing how your colleagues are being trained and like seeing flaws or holes in the system that are contributing to that. And so it's a lot and it's heavy. So thank you. 